Good morning and welcome. So glad you're worshiping with us today. Welcome to those who are worshiping online today. We're in some transitions with our online streaming, uh, but glad that you are worshiping with us today. Um, in life, thinking of projects, uh, whatever we accomplish alone typically will be very small. Like what you do as an individual, what I do as an individual typically is going to be very limited in scope. Individual responsibility is important, individual choices, all of that's important. But if you go through life doing only what you can do, chances are that's going to be a pretty small life. That's going to be a pretty small project that you engage in. Larger projects need larger groups of people. Where everybody takes apart, even small projects. Think about some of the small projects maybe you do around the house. Often it is helpful to have somebody hold the other end, right? If it's only one other person or two other people. Can you hold this end so I can fix this end? It's helpful to have somebody who can tell you, is this in the center? Does this look straight to you? Can you hold this so I can see if it looks straight or if it's in the center. Can you hold the flashlight while I'm working on this? Popular meme, you've probably seen it. Uh, it goes something like this. Some of you have never held a flashlight for your dad while he yells at you that you're not shining it in the right place and it shows, right? That's that sort of idea, if you've ever had that experience. You know, sometimes you just need another person to help alleviate some of the frustrations and sometimes it creates more frustration. But having another person can be helpful. You, sometimes you're in the middle of something and you think, I just wish I had somebody to hand me that tool instead of the one that I have. I just wish somebody could bring me something. Yeah, projects, goals, if, if you're going to do anything of significance, it's going to require more than just you, more than just the individual. There are, there are some benefits to working along. I just mentioned one. One uh, benefits to working together. And one of the benefits is alleviating frustration. Right? Alleviating that frustrating moment of, I wish somebody was here too. Uh, another benefit of working together is a shared sense of accomplishment. Right? If, you, if, if you've ever been a part of a group project, if you've ever uh, been a part of building something with a group of people, initiating something with a group of people, you know on the other side of that, there is that shared sense of we did it. We all accomplished it. Everybody did something. Everybody worked a little bit. And we all made it happen. There's sort of that end of project celebration we all manage to pull this off. It's one of the reasons we encourage our kids to play sports or, or be in the band or be in the choir. Because we know there's value in learning what it's like to work with a group of people. Value in learning what can be accomplished when you don't try to do everything by yourself. But rather, you join in with a group. Um, another another um, benefit is the potential, when, you, when working with a group, the potential to deepen relationships, right? You've had this experience before probably. Uh, you engaged in some project, uh, you engaged in some goal, uh, maybe you went on a mission trip 
together. And you got back, and there was just this deeper relationship among the people who had been a part of that project. And sometimes it, it fosters, it leads to lifelong friendships, lifelong relationships, because you engaged in something together. It was a meaningful project. You, you accomplished more than you could have yourself. Another thing that happens when we're working collectively on a meaningful project is we tend to have less time for division. When we're engaged in something that matters to all of us, it's meaningful to all of us, we have less time to get sideways with each other. Let's be honest. There are always reasons for division, right? We all have differences of opinion. There are always reasons for us to get angry with somebody or to get sideways with somebody. But when we're both engaged in something bigger than us, we're more likely to set those things aside because what needs to get accomplished is so important. Like the wall needs to get built. Therefore, our little preference differences aren't that big. Like my opinion's different from your opinion. It's really not that big because this, what we're trying to accomplish, is so big, right? It, it minimizes the opportunities for division. Sometimes it's just identifying who the real enemy is, right? When we're clear on this is the real enemy, then we tend not to make enemies of each other so fast, right? We tend to give each other passes. We tend to say, yeah, we see that differently. It doesn't really matter because this is what ultimately Matters. All of these benefits from working together. It's one of the reasons we often say here at our church, we have a big sign at the end of the hallway that says, We're better together. We're better when we're all working for the same cause. We're better when we pull our resources, our talents, our giftedness, uh, our efforts, our creativity, our minds, our brains. We're better when we put those together to see what we could accomplish collectively because what we can do together is always going to be bigger and better and more lasting than anything you and I can do as an individual. Now we've been studying uh, through the book of Nehemiah and this idea of rebuilding. There is a rebuilding project that is at the heart of Nehemiah and we've said 2021 is kind of a year of rebuilding because of all that got torn down and sort of demolished in 2020. We're rebuilding a lot of different areas of our lives, including our spiritual lives. Uh, we're rebuilding our habits. Maybe we're rebuilding some relationships. Maybe our marriage needs some rebuilding. We are in this project of rebuilding. Nehemiah has stepped onto the scene and he has seen that there is a need to rebuild. He's identified the project. The walls are down. There's rubble everywhere. We need to do something about it. He's prayed about it. He's put a plan together. He's gone back to Jerusalem, fine-tuned his plan. When we get to Nehemiah chapter 3, Nehemiah is going to organize the plan. He's going to organize the people. And we realize when we get to Nehemiah chapter 3, not only is Nehemiah a leader and a visionary, but he's also a good administrator. He's a good organizer. Those don't always go together. Sometimes you need two different people for that. But in this story, in the book of Nehemiah, he's the visionary leader. He's the inspiring leader. Last week we saw he stood up and said, look, everything's broken. We have to do something about it. 
But then in Nehemiah chapter 3, he's also the one that's organizing, right? He's, he's detailing everything. Now, pastors probably aren't supposed to say this, but here's the reality. Nehemiah 3 is a rough chapter to read. It's just one of those really boring chapters, right? I'm just being honest with you, me to you, just leveling with you. If you try to read from start to finish, which I hope you will after we're done talking about it today. If you try to read from start to finish, though, without any context, it's difficult. It has the two most frustrating characteristics of Bible chapters. Repetition, it kind of says the same thing over and over and over again, which we kind of get bored with and go to sleep with. And secondly, names that are really hard to pronounce, right? When you have repetition and names that are really hard to pronounce, let's be honest, you just kind of flip the page and go to the next one, right? And Nehemiah 3 is that type of chapter. So we're not going to read from beginning to end. I hope you will after we're done. I'm going to pick some pieces from Nehemiah 3, and we're going to draw some principles from those. This is Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priest went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel, right? The other thing that makes it difficult is it talks about places that we don't know what they are, right? Repetition, names we can't pronounce, places we don't know where they are. Well, we start with, in, in this organization of the project, we start with the priest, right? Here's, here's the principle. Spiritual leaders are servant leaders. Mature spiritual leaders are servant leaders. The first group of people that we read about where the project started were the priests. Right? They were the pastors. They were the spiritual leaders. The spiritual leaders rolled up their sleeves and got to work. And it was dirty work. And it wasn't priest work. Like it wasn't church work. It wasn't pastor work. It was hard work. It was dirty work. When it comes to the hard stuff, the spiritual leaders are the servant leaders. Listen, if... If you consider yourself to be a mature spiritual person, a mature spiritual leader, and you aren't willing to do the dirty work when it needs to be done, then you're probably not a mature spiritual leader. Because spiritual leaders are, by definition, servant leaders. We could, we could jump over to the New Testament and look at the life of Jesus, right? Jesus comes lowly and humble. Right? You find Jesus in the most humble of places all throughout his life. Spiritually true, mature spiritual leaders are servant leaders. There's, there's, a, there's a quote. I don't know who originated it. A lot of people take credit for it. So if you post it, just to say that I made it up. I didn't make it up. But here it is. If service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. If service is beneath you. Like if you pull back and think something is that's beneath what you should be doing, then you're probably not a leader because leaders are servants. And we read that right here from the spiritual leaders. The priests themselves, they start the whole project. And yes, there were other responsibilities that the priests had to take care of. They couldn't spend their whole life doing this. They were called to other spiritual leadership 
uh, uh, activities. They needed to study. They needed to preach. They, they needed to lead worship. They needed to give themselves to that. But right now, the wall was down. Right now, there was dirt everywhere. And so, even the priest step in and go to work, which not all of the people who you would consider leaders did that. Jump down to verse 5. Uh, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Right, so, we, so we have a positive example at the beginning. The priest said, look, we'll do whatever it takes. We realize this has to get done. This is important for all of us. We'll roll up our sleeves. We'll get dirty. We'll have skinned knees and busted elbows. We will do whatever it takes. The nobles of Tekoa, however, said, you know what, that's, that's really kind of too dirty for us. We're more important than doing that part of the job. And what that tells us is the nobles of Tekoa weren't really leaders because leaders are servants to start with. Here's another principle. The spiritual foundation must be laid first. Whatever you're rebuilding, the spiritual foundation goes first. And then you can build on top of that. Uh, The priest began rebuilding the wall by rebuilding the sheep gate. I've got got a map, a a little picture of the top part of the wall. If you look right over here, uh, upper right, where the sheep gate is, you'll notice that the sheep gate leads to the temple. It was called the sheep gate because the sheep that would be sacrificed were brought in through that gate for the worship service so that the people could confess their sins, so they could repent, so they could make offerings to God. This sheep gate was vital to the worship of God by the people. It was vital to the spiritual temperature, the spiritual environment of the people. So when they start the building, we find out where this started. It started right there. Why? Because the spiritual foundation needed to be laid first. Let's get that right before we build everything else. Whatever you're rebuilding in 2021, I want to encourage you Lay the spiritual foundation first. If you're rebuilding a marriage, if you're rebuilding your family, start with the spiritual foundation. Get that right first. And yeah, there's probably other things you need to address on top of that. If if you're rebuilding your finances, if economically you're rebuilding in 2021, I want to encourage you, start with the biblical principles for finances, for put those in place. Say, you know what? We're going to honor God in the way that we steward our resources. That's first. And then we'll throw in some Clark Howard and Dave Ramsey on top of that. But we're going to make sure that we honor God first in this area. Whatever you're trying to rebuild, lay the spiritual foundation first. God, are we right with you? God, is this how you would want us to rebuild? God, what are the principles that you've said about this particular area of my life? Start with the spiritual foundation first. Uh, Jump back up to verse 2. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The men of Jericho, um, they didn't live in Jerusalem. Like this is kind of an unusual aspect of the story. 
they came from outside of Jerusalem and, and helped the people who lived in Jerusalem rebuild their city. As a matter of fact, there's eight different groups as you read through the story. The men of Tekoa that we just mentioned, they're one of them. Uh, there's a group from Gibeon that also comes. There's a group uh, we just read from Jericho that also comes. Eight different groups that didn't even live in Jerusalem. Some of them lived as, as, as many as 20 miles away from Jerusalem. So in one sense, they didn't have a personal investment in this project. It, it didn't really affect them. They lived 20 miles away from Jerusalem, but they were prompted by the need in someone else's life to say, I need to go help them rebuild. The right thing to do would be to help them rebuild. Listen, sometimes the right thing to do is to help someone else rebuild. Maybe that's going to be part of your life in 2021. Is you have there's things you're rebuilding for you, but you're going to get called in 2021 by God to step into somebody else's life and say, how can I help you? How can, how can I help you rebuild this area of your life? Somebody's going to come to you and say, hey, this is happening in my life. And you're going to feel a prompting from God that says, you need to step into that. At the end of the day, there may not be any direct uh, benefit for you, but the right thing to do is to extend yourself. And help somebody else rebuild. When you read this chapter, and especially when you come to those examples, you'll find there's this unselfish view of the rebuild. The men of Jericho were not saying, well, that didn't really affect us. That's, that's your problem. There was not a, that's your problem mentality. There was, you know what, I believe God wants all of us to make sure this happens for you. And then we're going to go back to our hometown. It's not going to affect us. But the right thing is to step into your situation and help you. That, that may be what God calls you to do in 2021 in somebody's life. At the same time, again, we're kind of working quickly here. And I don't want to contradict myself. I think this is more of a both and. Especially if you're the leader, you have to realize that there are some people that you can inspire to help in situations where they don't directly benefit at the same time. Some people work better when they have a personal stake in the outcome. Like if you're the lead, if you're the organizer and the administrator, you just have to kind of keep an idea on the fact that, you know what, I can challenge these people and they'll come help us even though they're not personally involved. But if I connect some of our people to an area where they have a personal stake, they're going to work even harder. Let me give you an example. This is verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priest made repairs each in front of his own House. So they repaired the sheep gate, and then they started working in front of their own houses. Next to them, Zadok, son of Emir, made repairs opposite his house. Next to them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. So as the organizer, Nehemiah realized, I can get buy-in from some of the people if I give them a task that they're personally attached to. Look, here's all I want you to do. I want you to rebuild the wall right outside your house. Why would that be important? Well, if the enemy comes through that part of the wall, he's coming into your living room. Are they going to do a good job? Yes. 
If your wall is flimsy and everybody else is strong, they're coming to get your kids. If you decide two feet is high enough and everybody else builds theirs to 20 feet, guess which is going to be the easiest place for the enemy to come into the city and walk right into your kitchen? You better build this part really solid. So Nehemiah, the leader that he was assigned some of them the work right outside their house because they had a personal connection. They had a personal investment in that area. Again, it's not either or, it's both and. Sometimes I need to step into somebody else's world that may not benefit me, and I need to help them rebuild. And sometimes I need to look outside my own home and say, we've got to fix this or it's going to impact us. Both of those should be happening. Verse 3. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Zadok, son of Baana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. And we read that earlier. By the way, just um, a little pro tip. If you ever have to read words like this, names like this out loud in a group, just say them confidently. Nobody knows how to pronounce them. Nobody knows how. Just be confident and everybody will think you know what you're talking about. All right, so back back to the story. In this little section, we see an example of what's going to become the repetition. There's kind of a flow, there's a form, there's a structure to Nehemiah chapter 3. And it's it's as simple as this. This group, whose names we can't pronounce, they worked on this section. And next to them was this group. And next to them was that group. And next to them was this group. And next to them was that family. There was this, and next to, and next to. And there's this beautiful picture of the people of Israel, the, the, the people of Jerusalem, shoulder to shoulder all the way around the wall, everybody taking their section. I'm going to take my part. I'm going to take this part I've been assigned. And you're going to take that part. And we're going to work together. And we're going to encourage each other as we're working through the day. And here's what you come to discover. When everyone takes a section, the wall gets rebuilt. Nobody can build the whole wall. No one should try to build the whole wall. Everybody should just take their part. I'm going to do this part. This is what I feel I'm supposed to do. The entire project was too overwhelming for any one person. But if everybody took a little part, if everybody said, well, well, I'm going to fulfill this part, the wall would get built. When, When you think of... Great movements in history. Great movements often have a charismatic leader, right? A spokesperson, a figurehead, a personality. They have a charismatic leader out front. But if you study the movement, if it was effective at all, there were people just below the charismatic leader who were each taking a part. They were each taking a section. They were each doing a little bit. They, they each had a gift that they brought. They had skills that they brought. And everybody did just a little bit. This is how great projects get accomplished. This is how mission gets accomplished. This is how churches 
are effective in their mission and ministry is because everybody says, I can't do everything, but I can do this. And I can be faithful, and I can cheer for the person next to me that's doing that, and I can cheer for the person next to me that's doing that, and I can make this as good as it can possibly be. Just take a section. Right? The wall had been in ruin for 150 years. Some of the people now working on the wall had been living in a broken down city for 70 or 80 years, and all it took was everybody just doing a little bit? And they would have knocked this thing out. I mean, we're going to see. They finished this wall in 52 days. 52 days, the whole thing is built. And all it took was somebody saying, we need to do this. Everybody take a little part and it will get done. Another one of my favorite posts I saw recently. Somebody posted, I have been putting off a project for five years. I finally completed it today. It took me 20 minutes. I will learn nothing from this, right? Like, I'm just going to put off another one that if I would just do it, if I would just do the little part today, it would get done, right? We all know that's true. If I'll just get started, if I'll just do a little bit today and a little bit tomorrow, this thing will get done pretty quickly. That's what we find around the wall. Another principle from Nehemiah 3. Again, you should go back, now that you're getting some context, go back and read the whole thing. On an effective team, no one says, that's not my job. An effective mission, effective goal, no one's sitting back going, yeah, that's not my job. Right? It, it may not be what you're best at. It may not fit perfectly within your skill set, but it needs to be done. Right? We've already seen it with the priest. The priest didn't say, oh, sorry, that's not my job. I'm going to go write another worship song. No, nope. the priest said, we're here, we're building at the Sheep Gate, we're going to build outside our house. Uh, here's another example. Look at verse 8, Nehemiah chapter 3. Uzziel, son of Haraii, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, look at this, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. What does a perfume maker know about building a wall? I'm guessing nothing. They just smelled good, right? Like that's, they showed up and they smelled great. They, their job wasn't to rebuild the wall, but the perfume maker looked out of his perfume making store and said, it's got to get done, I'll show up. And, and this is what serving mostly is, it's just showing up. Like saying, yeah, I, show me what to do. What do I need to do? And, and chances are, Nehemiah doesn't tell us, but chances are somebody had to help the perfume makers get started. Right? Those with more skill had to say, hey, let me, let me get you started. This is a hammer, right? You stack the rocks. This is, you get started, I'll be back. They come back, all right, great, that looks good. Here's the next thing you need to do. So in a, in a, in a project that needs to get completed, those with skill, turn to those who are just willing to show up and they mentor them, like they help them, they show them, this is how you get started. And the perfume makers apparently said, great, I'm in. Like not a one of them said, sorry, I got some Estee Lauder over here, I'm trying to get that going, I'll be back. No, they all said, we'll go back to perfume making when the job is done, we're here to build. Nobody said, that's not my job. 
Isn't that frustrating? Like, some of you have had that experience where you work or, or you've had that experience with your homeowners group or, or you know, with the band parents or with the football team moms or whatever. And somebody said, well, that's not really what I do. That's not my job. Nobody cares that it's not your job if it's got to get done. And sometimes we just have to show up. Um, whether you're a goldsmith, whether you're a perfume maker, whether you're a merchant, as some other verses say, the merchant, the retailers show up and they get placed at the The affluent show up. I know the nobles of Tekoa bailed, but here's an example in verse 9. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Like this person was wealthy, well respected. And, and you find other verses like that. The ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, they took this section. Right? When there's a pro, the affluent show up, the poor show up, everybody in between shows up. Gender doesn't matter. This is verse 12. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem. There's that phrase again. Repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Everybody shows up. Men, women, kids, teenagers, rich, poor, middle income, skilled, unskilled. Just show up. Just take a part. Just take a section and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show up. Another principle. Everyone accomplished what they were able without comparing. Everyone accomplished what they were able without comparing. I, I mentioned the men of Tekoa up in verse 5. They show up, they, get, they take a section of the wall. But then in verse 27... We're told that same group, the men of Tekoa, took another section. Another example, uh, verse 4. Merimah, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Then if you go down to verse 21, next to him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired another section. Same thing for uh, Gani Meshulam in verses 4 and 30. If you compare the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter, what you find is there were some people who finished their section, jumped on another section. They didn't stand around and go, well, we've finished ours. We're knocking off early today. Well, I got mine. I don't know why, I don't know why yours is so slow. Our team's done. We're going home. No, they said, you know what? We finished. We knocked it out. There's still more work to be done. We're going to slide over to this other part, and we're going to keep working. There was no scorekeeping. There was no, well, we've done more than you. Well, we were here longer than you. Well, we showed up before you. No, the wall had to be built. The mission had to get accomplished. The goal had to be achieved, and there was no comparison. When it comes to ministry and serving and and, and showing up in our community. We're all going to go through seasons of our life when we can give more time and less time. We should always be giving some time to serving. But we're going to go in and out of uh, uh, more um, greater amounts of time. Right? When, when, when kids are little, that's kind of a, that's a tough time. It really, I'm not offering excuses. I'm just saying we've been there. Like We were there one time. That's a tough time to, to do multiple sections of the wall. 
But th- then you get to a stage where my kids are now, and I got one just out of college, one in college, one about to graduate high school. We got like a, a lot of discretionary time. We're trying, we don't know what to do with it all, right? You, you go in and out of these seasons where you could give more, you could do more, Financially, you could contribute more. Financially, you could contribute less time. You could give more skill. You could give more. You could give. We, we kind of fluctuate in and out of these seasons. What, what I learned from this chapter of Nehemiah is flow in and out of those seasons with no judgment for the season somebody else is in. Right? You don't have to compare. Well, I'm doing more than them. If your heart is to compare, then you don't really understand serving anyway. Right? If I have the time to give, then why wouldn't I give it? Regardless of whether somebody else has the same amount of time that I have. If I have the ability to give of my resources in a way during this season that somebody else doesn't, what does it matter if there's comparison? Like it doesn't matter what they can do or can't do or will do or won't do. What's best for me is that I give and I serve what I can, and, and I know comparison is a human tendency. Like we're, we're so sucked into comparison all the time. The problem is comparison just doesn't solve anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. If I have it to give, why wouldn't I just give it? If I can jump on another section of the wall, why wouldn't I just jump on another section of the wall? This group rebuild... It it applies to so many areas of our lives. And when done well, when done well, what we leave is a lasting legacy. We leave something that's going to stand the test of time. When I announced that I was going to start this series, Dale Rector sent me a couple of pictures from a trip that he took to Israel and these are, these are pictures of what they believe to be the actual wall that Nehemiah was rebuilding. It's still there. Like you still go see parts of this wall. You, 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 can, you can look. It's there. 2,500 years later. What we're reading about, this, this inspiring call from Nehemiah, this pragmatic, practical organization, that there's still a legacy there 2,500 years later. Like, I want to I do things in my life that are going to outlive me, don't you? Like, I want to I do things that are going to matter beyond the end date on my tombstone. I, I want to give my life to things that will matter. I want our church to matter. I, I don't know if this is going to be here 2,500 years from now. Uh, I, I, I don't know, but... But I want to give myself to things that are going to outlive me. That there's going to be a lasting legacy. And I may not see the fruits of that legacy in my lifetime. I may not see the benefits of that legacy in my lifetime. But I want to give myself to those things that are going to last. And that means i got to show up. I have to take a section of the wall. And this is not just confined, restricted to our church or to any church. But, but I've said, like, we're rebuilding journey in 2021. Coming out of the pandemic. Right? All the things that got frayed and kind of fallen apart. And, and we had to pause and stop. And, and, and 
we're rebuilding. And we need people to take sections of the wall as we move through this. We need people who minister in our children's ministry. We need people to say, that's my part of the wall, right? And I'm going to give myself to We need people who serve and minister with our students. We need people who volunteer in all of the areas that help us make Sunday morning a warm, welcoming place for both people who come here regularly and people who are here for the first time. We need people who say, community groups, I'm in. I'm going to help be a leader. I'm going to join a group. I'm going to show up. We need people to help us build on our missions emphasis, help us build on our community service emphasis. We need people who will just show up and take a part of the wall so that we can rebuild. People who give faithfully and lead faithfully and pray faithfully and serve faithfully. Because I believe still what we're building here matters. It matters for the lives of people. And everybody has a section of the wall to build. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness and grace. I thank you for your moving in us. God, I thank you that you are calling us. You are calling us to something beyond ourselves, something that will outlive us, something bigger than any one of us can accomplish. And I pray that we would step into that. Free of comparison, free of the it's not my job idea. And we would freely give of ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. What ultimately binds us together is not a place or a time. It's a person. It is the person of Jesus. Is that we have surrendered our lives to Christ. That we believe more than anything else in this life, what matters is knowing and following and becoming like Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he told his followers, I want you to regularly remember what this is all about by sharing a meal together, taking bread, taking the cup. Remember that Jesus gave his life for us. When you came in, there was a, a cup on your seat. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've committed your life to Christ, if you want to participate in this time of remembering, then take that out. If, if you're watching at home, grab some bread or cracker and something to drink with us really fast. Share this moment. We aren't randomly building walls. We aren't randomly building projects. We're investing our lives in the eternal mission of salvation for the world through Jesus. Take that top little cellophane part and peel it back. You'll see where the, where the bread is. If you're having trouble, I am too. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread.
When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, thank you that Jesus took the body that had healed and touched and embraced and loved and he allowed it to be broken so that we could enter the kingdom of God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. God, you painted that picture all throughout the Old Testament. Even as we're studying Nehemiah, we think about the sheep gate, we think about the sacrifices. It was a picture that death came when we sinned, blood would be spilled when we sinned. But ultimately, one sacrifice was made for all in the person of Jesus. And we are so grateful for that sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, God... We're going to sing to you. We're going to worship you. Because you are our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who has forgiven us. We sing knowing that everything that was needed for salvation has been accomplished in Jesus. And still, Jesus invites us into the work of the kingdom. May we be about that work. May we not look away when we've been called to show up. May we not compare, but joyfully serve for the cause of Jesus. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.